0: Welcome to Injury Prevention Podcasts. My name is Rod McClure. I'm editor of the BMJ Journal Injury Prevention, and each month I chat with a distinguished researcher or practitioner. My guest today is Dr. David Humphreys. Dr. Humphreys is Associate Professor of Evidence-Based Intervention and Policy Evaluation. He's a research fellow at Green Templeton College, University of Oxford in the UK. Hello David. Hello. David, could you introduce us please to your background and uh, explain where you're currently working?
1: Yes, I'm, um, I'm an Associate Professor at the Department of Social Policy and Intervention at the University of Oxford. Um, I began my research career as a, as a criminologist and did um, an undergraduate master's degree and PhD in criminology. Um, but. During my PhD, I, I became interested in um, alcohol and the relationship to violence, and particularly around understanding what we could do to prevent alcohol-related violence. So I began to work on um, trying to understand a fairly controversial policy in the UK at the time, which was around licensing twenty-four hour drinking, and uh, during that, I, I became uh, exposed to the, the sort of interdisciplinary um, area of public health and epidemiology prevention um, uh, research that takes place under that umbrella. and um, became really interested in, in in kind of that that space, and so after my PhD moved across to working in public health um, and epidemiology, and from there um, took another leap. Uh, after being involved in more sort of upstream policy type evaluations coming and working in a social policy department which um, part of the department is very much focused on generating and understanding evidence around policy and large-scale programs to prevent um, different types of
0: social harm. That's a nice segue into my next question. Um, You've been uh, identified uh, for this um, conversation on the basis of an, an article that you've written that's uh, going to be published in the June issue of Injury Prevention and selected as the editor's choice. Um, could you explain a little bit about that then, what the paper is and how that's how you got to that particular que- research question?
1: We began thinking about this at a time when I was, I was spending... Um Time in Philadelphia at the Pain Injury Science Center, and um, we've been talking about um, ride-share technologies such as Uber and Lyft and various others there, um, and their impact on the kind of broader trans, transport infrastructure. And at the time, um, my colleague Chris Morrison was, was at the um, at Penn, and um, he just published a paper in the American Journal about the looking at the pausing and resumption of, of services across cities in the U.S., and particularly around alcohol-related injuries. Um, and so we've had a lot of conversations about, about the potential impact on a number of public health um, relevant outcomes that such a large infrastructural change to transport could have. Um, and just coincidentally, at the time, I was I was spending time with, My wife is American, and we're spending time with her family there over Christmas, and we got into an Uber uh, one night and got chatting, as you do, to uh, your Uber driver. And I remember uh, this was was a guy called Travis, and he just took us a short 15-minute ride, but he was describing to us how actually the busy times of his week are often Sunday mornings when he's going to pick people up or, or take people to collect their cars from bars. Um, in in his particular area where he lived in New Jersey and I asked him a bit more about this and he told me about a particular program that they had in, in his community that um, was run by the local community authorities and subsidized Uber trips uh, from bars uh, to people's homes to avoid them um, getting in their cars after they've been drinking. And this just coincided with conversations conversation that we were already having about research and trying to understand, um, and we, we thought this was an interesting little experiment that was going on, you know, right under our noses, and this could be something we could look at as a research question, you know, we know that um, suburban and rural areas have less public transport infrastructures, and we know that they are impacted. Uh, often to a greater extent by um, alcohol-related crashes and injuries from that. And so we thought that this was quite an innovative idea using rideshare technologies. And, and a lot of the research that have been done today on rideshare, um, done by some of my colleagues both here in, in the US, has tended to focus on um, metropolitan or urban areas where, where rideshare has really taken off, but less so in rural or, or suburban areas and we, we wanted to see whether or not there could be an impact of this on on um alcohol related crashes or, or, or road traffic crashes um following you know the implementation of such a, a kind of novel but small scale intervention like this so that's that's where we began um with this and it had a few false starts i mean initially we wanted to we tried to offer to evaluate this more formally with the communities in New Jersey, but really struggled to engage them and um, really get hold of who who was responsible for running the, this program and um, who we could speak to about how it worked. So we realised that we, the administrative data on uh, vehicle crashes was was there and. You know, we, we there were methods that we could um, explore to get a basic understanding of whether or not um, this initiative, which ran between two thousand fifteen and two thousand nineteen, had had any impact at all on motor um, vehicle crashes during that time. And we found that that actually it does does appear that that the introduction of um, of that initiative in these two um, municipalities in, in New Jersey was associated with a, a, a decline in overall uh, road traffic crashes. Um, but interestingly, we see that the that that effect is most significant in the evening when we would expect it to be, if that program is having an actual cause impact on people's behaviours
0: around drinking. David, there are several things about that which are interesting, I think, that um, I'm going to ask you to expand upon a little bit. You're working at the moment in an area loosely defined as evidence-based social policy interventions. Um, this paper that you've described is is almost a natural experiment. It was something that was happening in the society. Yeah. You identified some some. Um, struggles perhaps turning that into a research experiment or a, a piece of science. Uh, do you do most of your research this way
1: in this, or do you do sort of lab-based research as well? Yeah, the majority of my research is is, is done this way, which is often um, probably anybody who's, who's coming at this from a lab-based experience would consider this you know, fairly messy approach to um to doing research but i think it's it's a sort of realistic and um, real world type of research and so i mean i'm interested in initiatives or things that we can do to improve or prevent harm that often take place way upstream uh the kind of structural determinants of violence and injury and um, these might be policies these might be changes to the physical or social environment. And they can be difficult, not necessarily impossible, but quite difficult to come at prospectively. So, you know, to, to design an evaluation from the asset before it happened, but also to, to manipulate into a kind of ideal um, research design, like a randomized control trial. Um, ideally, we'd like to do that if we could. But sometimes these opportunities present themselves, and um, they might be opportunities that wouldn't present themselves if, if we were trying, if we were looking only through the lens of a very formal research design. And so, I think a lot of of the research that is available or always done on these kind of um, upstream determinants of of health or harm need to take place um, like this in, 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 in some ways. You need to be slightly opportunistic. You need to be quite creative, I think, to see them sometimes, or at least um, looped into the, to the right networks and, and be in the right place at the right time. Um, and you spend much of your time trying to think about how you can design an evaluation often you know perhaps mixed methods or multi-method study around this to test some core theoretical hypotheses that might be important for the field this is going to put you on the spot a little bit but um (laughs)
0: what do you what do you mean by evidence because i think this lies at the crux of some of our discussion at the
1: moment that's a good question it's it's um embedded within my my job title which is a rather remarkable associate professor of evidence-based social intervention and policy evaluation and it's a little bit of um I, I guess this this relates to the course that we teach here in oxford which is um about evidence-based methods and research um for primarily social programs or social interventions. So the inspiration, I think, when the course was was designed, which was much before my time, was really in the spirit of of moving some of the the thinking around evidence-based medicine over into the domain of the social sciences and trying to think about, can we create rigorous evidence um, for social programs or social interventions or social policies? And our course has evolved considerably over the time and um, to incorporate not only some of the, the very well-developed methods that we're familiar with from evidence-based medicines systematic reviews, meta-analysis, randomized control trials, but because the concept of evidence is quite different in social sciences, it's needed to, to be expanded much more. And so um, part, part of my role in, in coming to the, in this department in this course back in uh, 2014 was very much to expand this, so, so to be thinking about quasi-experiments and how we um, incorporate other types of designs um, that are required often for generating evidence about social programs and social interventions. The evidence-based Aspect which you know comes from the, the world of medicine, but you know that's evolved, or at least our thinking has evolved on that over the years. And you know, we don't necessarily think that there's a linear process between evidence and policy or action. Evidence comes in many different forms. Um, you know, there's a need to interpret different types of evidence, it can be quite complicated to distill. Um, and th- those are some of the techniques that we, that we teach our students in, in the department here who then go on to work in kind of the major areas of either health or social policy or social work. Um, so we really tend to say evidence based so much as you know I think the, the terminology now is evidence informed, but it's sort of a, a legacy of our um, course that ends up in our job titles as well. <laughs>
0: and uh, listeners can actually go to your paper to see a good example of how you've been able to um, think through the methodology required to address some of those complex and uh, social-based research questions. Certainly injury is one of of its delights is that it moves across um, from biomedical through to community and social, and uh, gives us all a chance to think uh, quite innovatively about our methodologies. Thank you very much for this opportunity we've had to chat And uh, I look forward to uh, reading more of your work. Thank you very much. We've been chatting today with Dr. David Humphreys from the University of Oxford. More details of the papers mentioned in this podcast, including links to them, can be found on the description of this podcast. Remember, you can subscribe to Injury Prevention Podcasts on your favorite platform or app and have it automatically downloaded to your device each month.